Hi everyone, I'm so delighted to be joined finally <laughs> by singer-songwriter Chuck Reagan. You might know him from his band Hot Water Music or from his solo work or his many collaborations with other talented musicians. He is also a fishing guide and enthusiast, father and husband, and we have a lot to talk about. And I'm fresh out of the ocean and I look like a, a drenched mermaid. I'm super glad you're the only one that can see me. <laughs> so welcome finally, Chuck. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. We did I'm it. Glad we could finally, <laughs> finally make it work. We did it. <laughs> we yeah, did it. It's been, it's been a lot of back and forth. This is kind of the past uh, handful of months has been some of the craziest and busiest that I've ever known in my life, which is kind of ironic because in the music world, most of us have really slowed down, but at home, I work as a fishing guide, and oddly enough, that picked up and got extremely busy. But uh, aside from all just work, my wife and I and our boy, my family, we we bought uh, uh, we got a new place, and we're in transition right now from moving. We haven't even moved yet. We're still remodeling this new joint working on it and fixing it up, trying to get it ready to move the family in and then get rid of the old house. And this transition has kind of gone on way longer, <laughs> you know, as most <laughs> remodels do. Yeah. Uh, but this one, there was, a, there was many, many unforeseen projects, you know, that kind of came out that we're not small, big projects, you know, mm. uh, redoing all the plumbing and ripping more drywall out and all this stuff. So the remodel went on longer and longer. And uh, I guess my point is like my, <laughs> I wake up at three, <laughs> between three and 4 a.m. Yeah, we've had some morning. fun chats when you're yeah. waking up and I'm going to bed. It's like crazy time zone difference. Yeah, and yeah. I just go. And I go and I go until I, I literally just, the body gives out. Sometimes that's um, midnight, sometimes it's 6 p.m., you know, so. Yeah. So how have your stress levels been? Oh, it's and through the roof. Yeah, great. <laughs> Sounds like you so, need to get into the ocean again. <laughs> <laughs> I had some great friends send me a lot of uh, really special treats and, uh, you know, sweets from all, all the way from Australia. <laughs> that really helped me deal with my extreme stress levels. So. <laughs> I like to keep your blood sugar levels under control. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Did you have any uh, particular favorite treat or sweet? And the uh, uh, the red the red oh yeah Redskins. I love. I really like the Redskins. That yeah. was good stuff. And uh, there was some chocolate with caramel in it. Yeah, the Caramello Koalas, so, they're a classic, classic Australian treat. Yeah, good yeah. stuff, good stuff. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Vegemite and Marmite. I, I know there's, I'm curious, I know some people there love Vegemite, some people prefer Marmite. Why is there such a... A division. What's, <laughs> yeah, what's the, what's the division there? Like, well, I believe. I, mean, I can tell it, but yeah. Well, I feel like Ma might be those who are heavily British or of British influence. So parents, family, friends, because Marmite is very popular there. And then I think Vegemite okay. is more like if you grew up in Australia, it's kind of like always in the fridge or the cupboard. That's another argument in itself, whether you keep it in the fridge yeah. <laughs> or in the pantry. So, yeah, I kind of think it might oh, be yeah. more to do with the British influence in the background. Yeah, sure. So let's talk about the fishing. What have you learned most about yourself by being a fishing guide? And especially when it's been busy, you interact with so many people. Well, I guess for starters, I haven't been a guide that long. I've only been guiding about five, six years. I've kind of, uh, I've learned that I've been guiding. <laughs> like. <laughs> a lot longer than that you know it's something that i think uh fishing are some of my earliest memories as a kid mm -hmm. growing up uh, it was what my family did 
I can't even say it, you know, we never even talked about it as a sport or even as a recreation or what it's just what it's just what we did you know growing up there was no catch and release <laughs> we never <laughs> we ate everything and that was just kind of part of it you know of of what we did and and so fishing is all it's it was instilled in me at a in a at a very early age i feel like it's it's been years that i've always in between tours you know, I fished wherever I could or however I could. I had a lot of friends in uh, Tennessee and and in Louisiana and Florida and all these places that I lived growing up where we fished. And it, it just, it was a part of our life. And then I didn't realize it until I actually started guiding that I, I kind of stood back and was like, man, this is, this isn't foreign to me. This is, I've been doing this for a long time. Like, I feel like I've always taken people fishing. I mean, people have always took me fishing growing up, and I learned a lot from a lot of people uh, that showed me the ropes and, and uh, you know, picked up little bits of information and little tricks of the trade along the way. Um, but over the course of it, uh, I would always take friends fishing and pass on that knowledge. And that's what guiding is, 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 you know, for a lot of us is, you know, someone shared a passion, someone shared a passion for the outdoors with us at an early age. And uh, it's in us. And for a lot of us, it's very important to pass that on and, and share that uh, with people and hopefully send them off with a great memory and good, good tale, tall tales. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, I think you said to me that you find peace and purpose like out in the woods and specifically yeah. when you're in nature. And I know that you and I sort of briefly spoke about meditation and yoga and you, you sort of obviously one don't have time for that. And two, the body might be a bit fun these days, but what exactly is it about that environment for you that helps you come back into alignment? Do you think? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, to me, it's, uh, it's, it's the moments that I fall into place. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's been, there's been moments that I could, pin you know almost pinpoint throughout my life and days on the water and in the outdoors where i have those just that awareness or those awakenings or those realizations and a lot of the time it could be something that i've done over and over and over again you know we as a fishing guide we see a lot of sunrises <laughs> you know mm. we see a lot of sunsets right um yeah that's a meditation in itself just watching those two things isn't it it's part of the gig and uh most of the time when we're out there and that sun is coming up either we're just getting into work or we're waiting for clients to show up or you know or even if i'm not working if i'm not guiding if i'm just out there doing what i do and watching that sun come up or watching that sun go down and having these these little moments where i feel i fall into place uh and when i say fall into place i mean fall into place with the the real world uh the natural world there was a time in in florida that i remember when a good buddy of mine kip street was kind of teaching me some of the zones and how to fish some areas in the Gulf. And we, we had to fish all around the tides. And it was important because if you didn't pay attention and know your tides, you could very well get stuck in the mud for six hours. <laughs> until oh my gosh. Yeah. Not, not yeah. ideal. <laughs> yeah. Not ideal, but it's uh sometimes it's very important to make mistakes like that you know what i mean because you learn a lot about yourself uh when you're sitting in a boat in the mud on a flat for mm -hmm. six seven 
hours, you know. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of time, a lot of time to reflect. <laughs> and but um, but yeah, I mean, uh, there was there was uh, a time in my life where he was. Uh, my buddy Kipper was kind of teaching me, teaching me some ropes on fishing some of the flats like around the Gulf where where we lived. It took a little bit, and I finally got it wired right. And I was really paying attention to these tides, and I was really paying attention to, you know, the movement of the 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 water, the moon cycles, the fish coming in and out. I was targeting those fish and, and feeding, feeding us, you know, feeding myself and, and in the process of it all. And there were moments where I would be out there at the right time in the right place on purpose. And there's not many feelings like that on this planet to me, you know, where there, there was, there was no one around. There was nothing around, you know, just water and mama nature. And yeah. uh, I fell into place, you know, I fell into place where to me, uh, there were, there were times where I was walking around on a beach with a cast net, you know, looking for bait. And in my mind, it, it hit me a few times and times like that, where I was like, you know, I'm doing the same thing that someone else did, you know, 4,000 years ago, mm. right? In the, in the same area, right? Where we're here and, uh, you know, where I'm going after the same thing, just kind of, it, it brought me back to just true kind of hunter gatherer, uh, instincts and, and falling in place with, uh, weather and tides and moon cycles and chasing fish yeah so. i wish everyone could spend more time doing that it's so important so i love observing animals in the wild and i've been lucky enough i've spent a lot of time hiking in the u.s and i've seen like bears and mountain lions and coyotes but i wonder whether it's the same thing i've told you that i'm not into fishing <laughs> that much but i think a lot of people are interested like in the same way that like people are mesmerized and captivated by seeing a bear or a wolf in the wild, what can people learn from observing fish, just watching them in their environment as opposed to the act of fishing? That's a great question. I'm so um, glad you like my questions. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a great, great question. Where, where we live, I live up in Northern California, I guess for a point of reference for people, probably maybe three hours inland east of uh, San Francisco, right? We have a lot of rivers around. We get, it's in decline. Uh, they haven't been doing all that well, but we, for years, but we get a king salmon run. We have salmon that run up the rivers uh, throughout the year, as well as Central Valley steelhead. We have these migratory species, American shad as well. And uh, when those fish come in, it's, it's a pretty exciting stimulating be out there uh, because you're not only you know in one of these this one of the rivers that i fish and i work in quite a bit the uber river it's closed for salmon fishing uh it's closed for to just help them get through their spawn easier you know it's shut off right now it has been for quite a few years uh which is fine you know i mean we would all love to see it come back we'd love to see to, we'd love to fish for salmon there again in the meantime, when they come up, the trout and the steelhead get crazy. The salmon come up, they do their thing, they spawn. Um, they're dropping eggs, and the steelhead and the trout sit right behind them and, and gorge on, on the eggs, right? And that's what we're targeting. We're targeting the steelhead and the trout sitting right behind the salmon. But in the process of it, you, you, wit you kind of witness this whole relationship between different species, right? You witness this whole kind of give and take between all these species that in a lot of ways, you know, they, they, depend, they depend on each other, you know. 
I mean, the trout definitely and steelhead depend on the salmon. Watching that, watching that take place, and and in this river, it's it's a shallow. Most of the spots that this is happening, it's very very shallow water, very clear water. So you're you see it all. You see the salmon come up. You see them sweep out sweep out their reds, uh, their beds where they're going to be dropping their eggs and everything. It's it's pretty spectacular. Uh, as far as what as far as what we learn, I, I mean, and where it brings us is again, I guess it in so many ways it brings us so much more in touch with Mother Nature. I, I mean, there's there's so many times that I've been in a boat or in a river and just watched something wild and bizarre happen in front of me with either you know what with either fish or waterfowl or, or birds of prey wild things you know uh cats and something will happen and you look around and there's no one else around and and you realize i'm the only one on this planet that just witnessed that just mm, it's quite sacred really yeah yeah and uh it's it's very uh, grounding, humbling, mm. and to just be there. Can you talk a little bit about your organization, Cast Hope, and how that kind of came about? Absolutely, yeah. I was invited. I, I have a couple great friends. Um, Ryan Johnson, uh, who started Cast Hope, that was kind of his brainchild. He, he started that organization by... Um, having some friends that he just wanted to take the time out of his day-to-day schedule to take some kids out on the water that Mm -hmm. normally don't get a chance to get out and fish and see some of this wild stuff that we're talking about right now. Um, He did it and the, the kids, the first kids that he took really, really benefited from it. It just blew their mind. It opened their mind. It, it just, it shifted their whole perspective. And all their senses, life. yeah, would have been coming on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, life and confidence and everything. And it kind of hit him how important this was, especially in, in this day and age. Cast Hope, for people who don't know, Cast Hope, we're, we're a nonprofit organization. Been together a little over nine years now. And uh, what we do is we find or take in y- a younger generation. Usually the age, the age group of kids that we host are anywhere from 10 years old to 17 years old. Uh, we take the kid and their mentor, and their mon- mentor being either a parent, uh, a sibling, a teacher, guidance counselor, whoever whoever it is that they're already connected with, we take the kid and that mentor out on uh, free uh, fly fishing trips. There's many different reasons why we're doing that. Um, You know, one is to help build that relationship between the kid and that mentor. Usually it's already established, but we're just doing something else to help keep that bond going and growing, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, The main objective, I would say, is to uh, instill a passion for the outdoors to this younger generation, right? It's no secret, everybody knows, like, there is a definite disconnect with kids nowadays and Mother Nature, you know, in in the big picture, right? There's a lot more versions. There's a lot more distractions. Yeah. You know, there's... We didn't have uh, social media when we were growing up. Like, we didn't, no, you know, it wasn't, no. you know... Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and uh, you know, between social media and the screens and the video games, and there's this huge disconnect uh, between Mother Nature and and the youth of today, right? Our main objective is is mainly to light a spark, you know, kind of connect, give them a, give them a reason 
to care about this stuff. You know, everyone who is a part of Cast Hope or anyone, you out in the water surfing today, right? Mm -hmm. uh, anyone who, who gets out into the outdoors, at some point in our life, at some point, someone, someone instilled that into us, right? Mm -hmm. It may have been a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, you know, a grandparent, someone, someone opened our eyes to something that blew our mind and, you know, made us look at the world in a completely different manner. It made us look at the seasons and, you know, the tides and everything that happens in the natural world that really means something, that really does something you know, to our planet, our communities, our, our health, our everything, the ebb and the flows. And uh, at some point in our life, someone showed that to us and it opened our mind. And then we got connected with it. And then we found our own little, you know, outlets and enjoyment, whether it be fishing or surfing or hiking or riding a bike or just sitting down watching a sunset or a sunrise, right? And we got connected with that. And then as we grow, grew older, all of a sudden we realized, hey, we care about this. We mm -hmm. care about this beach. I care about this beach. I care about this river or I care about this, this trail or this mountain. And then now, when something negative happens to those places, we have, we have a reason to protect it and we have a reason to fight for it. And the simple concept with Cast Hope is if young people today aren't instilled with that passion to get connected with the outdoors, then when they grow, there is absolutely no reason in the world for them to fight for it or protect, protect yeah. it. Yeah, and it's concerning what degradation could happen. I mean, it's happening now. Like I just spoke about seismic testing um, with another professional surfer here and it, like putting oil rigs yeah. in up the coast of Australia. And it's like, yeah, there's a lot of disconnect, you're right. And so it's education as well. I'm a big fan of like educating and getting the information out there to people, but it is important. And what you do is really, it's needed. It's really needed at this time. Gosh, I think oh, I'm going to exhaust my fishing capacity. I feel like I need to try fishing again because it's so hot here. And the two times I went fishing, it was just too, and I'm, I burn, I need like a big hat. I was like, maybe if I went in different conditions when it wasn't like roasting Australian heat, burning, sunstroking. <laughs> I might be out maybe when I go to Northern California again, because <laughs> it's like temperate. It's yeah. like roasting heat. Oh, it gets hot. It gets hot here too. Yeah. <laughs> maybe fishing with when it's not blistering heat, maybe my next best approach to try and enjoy yeah. it. Because sitting in a boat in the sun for me is like, like no, I'd rather be in the water. You should try fly fishing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I can just imagine myself getting tangled. It'd be a, a comedy of errors. Hot Water Music have been dabbling around a little bit at the moment, haven't you? Doing some oh, yeah. yeah, bits and pieces. Do you want to talk a little bit, if you can, about what's been going on there? Absolutely, yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but we're actually, we're actually writing right now. We're writing some new music. And uh, actually right before this call, was, was, that's what I was doing in here, just working on some, some new tunes. It's, uh, it's pretty exciting. It's really exciting. Uh, it's coming together well, and uh, I'm not sure exactly when it'll be finished, uh, but we're just trucking along with it and having a good time, and I'm pretty fired up on it. Just getting uh, back into the yeah, groove. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the whole, you know, as you know, the, the, the music world has really... Uh, shut down <laughs> yeah you know, the, well, touring, the last the, time the travel touring, we, like we, we were chitter chattering and you were you were going to play a concert with dave halls to no one weren't you no. <laughs> <laughs> remember and you were like yeah. i don't know what that's gonna be like yeah. so what was that like yeah. how was that experience well 
Well, it actually wasn't no one. There was four people there. Okay, apologies. <laughs> apologies. <laughs> we had a crowd of four. <laughs> hey, better than better than uh, none. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, the, yeah, you know, sadly enough, like that wasn't the first time that I've actually played a concert for four people. So. <laughs> Those days are long gone, no, I'm but, sure. Uh, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, we did a, we did a show at a venue that it was familiar to both of us in San Francisco called the Great American Music Hall. A uh, beautiful venue, beautiful, very, you know, very popular in in our scene and community. I think the first time I played that venue was 19, uh, 1999, I believe, was the very first time I played it. It's been just kind of a staple in San Francisco. They wanted to, our friend of ours, uh, Kent, who was putting on some of these shows, wanted to do a live stream show to not only benefit, you know, musicians who were out of work, but, you know, a lot of people don't realize, like, it's not just the songwriters and the band people and, you know, the names that you see on t-shirts and on marquees that are out of work, right? It's mm. the sound men and the yeah. bartenders and yeah, the, light the, people. the lighting the lighting people and the roadies and the catering people and, yeah. and like you know people people go to these concerts and I know I did as a as a young kid uh, until until I started touring and realizing how how it really went down but I would go to a concert I would see the band that I I you know bought a ticket to go see and that was that was all I was there to pay attention to I didn't I didn't pay attention to any yeah. of these other people that were working and I didn't realize at the time that it takes a it takes a village you know to make to make these shows happen and uh, these people never ever they never have and sadly enough they probably never will get enough credit because they work just as hard if not harder uh, usually harder than anybody who's on that stage that you're paying to go see you know these these are the people that are there usually before the band gets there they're there after the band leaves they're working the longer hours uh, you know, they're sweating more, they're bleeding more. <laughs> <and> <laughs> they just, they don't get enough credit. So anyhow, you know, we were doing a show uh, to also help benefit some of these people who are, who are out of work. And, uh, yeah. and it yeah. was a great time. I mean, I've, we've done some, we've done stage shows and uh, we've done, online like live stream type shows before so it wasn't completely foreign or or weird and it was a lot better to for me to have my buddy next to me on stage yeah that helps <laughs> so, yeah that 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 helped uh for sure but it was great and and it was nice you know it was the first time for me it was the first time that i left my town in uh quite a while and so with the lyric writing process, there's a quote that I love that you said, and you said, I love to write love songs because it's the most powerful emotion. It's what grounds us to earth and makes us want to fight to make the world a better place. And I love that. And I think that ties into you talking before about grounding and connecting, and that comes back into that. So with hot water music, that's kind of a different style to obviously your solo stuff, but are there going to be any love songs? I love talking about love. And I feel like the world needs a bit more love at the moment. So <laughs> There's always love songs. Because I feel like you're There's quite always. sensitive like me and I wear my heart on my sleeve a bit. And I like it when that yeah. um, transpires into someone's music. I'm like, yes, they're an emotional person. And I think that's nice, especially when you connect with yeah. a male audience as well. Yeah. No, I'm a big softy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I mean, there's always love songs in hot water songs, uh, even even if they sound angry. Angry love songs. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes even they're the they, best kind. Screaming. But, uh, 
Yeah, sure. You know, you gotta be like <laughs> howling and growling. <laughs> howling and growling, growling out the love. There is an amazing quote that you said in an interview about love knocking you into place. And I just love that expression. I do feel, though, that love knocks a lot of people out of place at the moment. You went on to say that it's about finding freedom with the one you love most and giving them your all and growing old and grey with them. And I would love you to talk a little bit more about this concept. Yeah, I, I mean, it it does. And I I don't think I could talk about it and explain it and explain my experience with getting knocked into place until I'm blue in the face. Mm -hmm. And, but no one is going to truly understand that unless they have been knocked into place. And you, you don't, you don't get it until it happens. You get it. Yeah. And uh, for me, when I met, when I met Jill, my wife, you know, I was at a, I was at a point in my life, I was in a pretty dark place and uh, I had, I had kind of went to a really dark place and then I started to work my way out of it by myself with some help, not by myself, with some help from some friends. I was, I was alone and I was fine being alone. And I had come to terms with the fact that I would be okay if I was alone for the rest of my life. And, uh, and I realized, you know, at the time that I really, I, at least I didn't think I needed much. I wasn't sure what I was going to do uh, at the time. I knew I would always write songs. I knew I would always build things. I knew I would always fish and hunt and whatnot. But I wasn't sure if I was going to end up in the Gulf of Florida or end up as a commercial fisherman up in Alaska or I didn't know. I didn't know. And I didn't care at the time. It was just, you know, kind of made it up in my mind that I was, you know, I didn't ever want to get heavily involved with anyone again. Yeah. And I was, I was going to go it alone and I was going to be a great uncle and I was going to be, you know, like a good friend and a great uncle, yeah. you know. And then I met her. I met her. And I, I can honestly say uh, at the time, there was, there was no doubt in my mind I was ever going to get heavily involved with anyone else for the rest of my life. I, I, was, I, was, tapped down. I was tapped out. And, uh, and then I just got shaken to the core, you know. Would you say it was energetic? Like it was such an overwhelming energetic, like greater than, than you kind of force? Yeah, it's like that soul mate twin flame kind of out of your control domain feeling. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, when I, when I realized it. What was that process like? Because I imagine if you gone from one extreme to another there would have to be some like serious cognitive functioning like how do I go from not wanting to be in anything to like oh okay this has changed yeah yeah well yeah. and because I had t I had she knew all of this and uh we we were you know I was living in Florida she was living in California and I would come through and we would see each other we would hang out and and uh go our separate ways and and um and then uh, it, it hit me hard, hit me like a ton of bricks. And I was actually, oh, I was actually coming to Australia. I was coming to Australia and I was getting ready to do this tour. And I had called her. It was, it was a really odd, uncomfortable call, conversation at first, because I didn't know how to say mm -hmm just outright hey look i'm <laughs> head over heels in love with you and i want to spend the rest of my life with you and i don't ever want to be with anybody else and you know six months ago i i know i felt the complete opposite yeah now this is you know 
luckily she was on the same page <laughs> yeah so, that's that's good uh, but yeah we had so i made that call and we planned uh to take a trip down to baja to go stay on the beach after after this tour and just surf and fish around the baja right right on the coast uh down there and i came out went to australia did that did a tour out there and and then flew straight to uh california and she picked me up from the airport and that was the beginning just wondering do you have any advice for men who maybe do feel overwhelmed with their emotions especially when it comes to romantic things i do know that a lot of men have a lot of love to give but perhaps it's not something that's so readily and easily expressed by them sure i mean i think a lot of it is uh upbringing men have a tendency you know it's funny because i teaching fly fishing for instance <laughs> i'll kind of go to this and <laughs> a fishing metaphor right uh, metaphor <laughs> <laughs> i have i have couples all the time yeah i get a lot of beginners all the time right now i'll get men and women and when i'm when i'm instructing when i'm teaching and, and watching men you know men have a tendency to just push and pull harder than we need to if something isn't working we gotta hit it harder or do it faster or do it harder or just push it you know to if it's not working we gotta beat it into submission and make mm -hmm. make yeah. it work usually that's that's the last thing you want to do in fly fishing in casting right women their natural tendency if some if the cast isn't working a woman's natural tendency and i've seen it time and time again a woman's natural tendency is to slow down or even stop and then say okay why is this not working <laughs> you know to witness like you know especially when i get to a, a man and a woman on the boat that have never touched a fly rod in their life and watch them try to pick this up these natural tendencies come into play a lot of that i feel like for if, as far as the men go a lot of that i feel like has a lot to do with upbringing you know and it it can kind of be you know this to answer your question you know in talking about love expressing emotions you know expressing our feelings asking for directions you know? <laughs> <laughs> like you know we're men we're men we're not gonna ask for directions i know where i'm going like i know how to get there i can figure it out right yeah. You know, <laughs> it seems like, uh, you know, for whatever reason, and, you know, I'm sure, you know, er, er, so many people have had different upbringings, you know, I had a, my father was, he was a peacemaker. He wasn't a, he wasn't a hard man. He was, he was very stern and uh, he was quite conservative and, but he was very, very loving very loving but he was also very old school you know we got paddled and we got our asses beat yeah. red doing whatever my brother and i were doing to, you know uh, whatever mischief we were in but he raised us in a way he was a peacemaker for the most part you know but i think i think a lot of men in our society are raised with this like you gotta be tough you know you have to you got to be fight. Don't cry. Yeah, don't, bury it down. Suppress it. Suck it up. Yeah, get know, on with it. Up, get up, walk. And I mean, I battle with this a lot, you know, having, because I have a, my wife and I, we have a son. There's some things that my wife and I completely agree on 100%. And there's some things that we're just, we're a little bit, we're, you know, we're a little bit off on where, you know, to me, it's like I don't want I don't want him to grow up. I don't I would never want him to grow up being a bully. I don't ever want him to grow up being, you know, sexist or racist or or you know, out of his mind like some of these people are on this planet. Yeah. But at the same time, at the same time, 
I do not want him to grow up too soft because this is a really nasty, ugly, ugly world. And there's a lot of very evil people on this planet that are their sole purpose in life is to take advantage of people. That phrase hurt people, hurt people. Like if they haven't worked on their own wounding, that then bleeds onto other people. So you're right. Like if they haven't cleaned up their act. And do you talk to your son? How do you approach expressing things to him, like allowing him to express himself? Is that something that you encourage? Or the balance of that, I think, would be tricky as well. Like letting them just be versus having chats yeah. with them. I mean, I... I do my best. <laughs> you know, That's all anyone can uh, ever do, though. I feel like my wife is definitely better at it than I am. She spends a lot more time with him than I do. Unfortunately, I, I, I work all the time. I do, but I can already tell that I'm not doing as good of a job as she is because she's always telling me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> So, so uh, each parent so brings different things to it, you know, and you take him out on the boat yeah, a sure. lot and there's lessons that you can learn out there that oh, can't sure. be taught. 100%, yeah. 100%. Yeah. No, but I definitely, uh, you know, I want him, I want him to be open with me. You know, I don't ever want him to feel, you know, conflicted or stifled in any way in speaking to me or, or you know, telling me the truth or telling me his real feelings, you know, it's, it's important to me, you know, that he knows like, hey, it's okay to get hurt. It's okay to cry. It's okay to feel these things. At the same time, like I do, I want him to, this is that battle that I The push pull. Yeah. Like I do, I, I want him to be tough. But I, I don't think I would feel any different if I had a daughter. Uh, mm. I, would, I would want these kids to grow up and be just as sensitive as they are tough, you know, and have that balance. But, hey, you know, he's only five, so I'm still you got I'm still time. Sure, I'm, still but... learn, I'm, still learn, I'm still learning the ropes here. We've spoken before about following your heart and I wondered if you could share any wisdom on this topic for us. I mean, that's, I think, yeah, I, I think everyone would have their own reason and journey. Uh, that's going to be different for everyone. But, you know, I will say at least for me, and I can't speak for everyone, but, you know, for me, it, it, uh, I can honestly say I feel like it always would steer me in the right direction in the big picture, even though at times I would run into bumps in the road or whatnot. I stopped punching a clock a long time ago, decided to be an independent worker and followed my heart in that, like in playing music and touring and uh, doing, doing woodwork and you know, always kind of changing careers and, and goals and whatnot. And then, and then finally becoming a fishing guy, changing a career in like my late thirties. To me, I think that it's so important to, to follow your, your heart, follow your gut, you know, those gut instincts, because there's only a couple things that are going to happen when we do that. And we can deal with all of them, right? Mm -hmm. If, you know, if, if you, if you have something telling you to, to go one way or the other, you, you know, you're either gonna take that road or not, right? If you, if you decide to take that road, you are going to find out, you know, whether you made the right choice or not. Either way, you're going to learn. And to me, life in general is, it's a learning process. Yeah. And we can always course correct. You know, like if you find that you have made the wrong decision, it's not like you're stuck with that indefinitely. You know, you come back, spend some time, reflect, re reassess and reapproach the situation. hundred percent. My, my brother, Mike Reagan, always told me 
because he he's a definitely creative mind and thinker and he's an artist and a furniture maker and he's been a model and he's been a traveler and he's done all these very cool things his whole outlook on life is hey there is there is no one on this planet that is telling you that you cannot reinvent yourself anytime you want you can always reinvent yourself in other words if you're in a place where you are uncomfortable or you know you're you're down in the dumps or you're stagnant or suicidal or you know in just in in the grips of addiction or you name it mm. you know i i know i know that grip i know how it feels to be just complete feel completely trapped and feel like there is absolute no possible light at the end of a tunnel and luckily i found people who said a just said a handful of words to me at times or sh shared some music with me or played a show in front of me or did something in my life that made me realize like oh this is a choice mm. like we have a choice yeah an active choice yeah yeah i may be i may be unhealthy right now i may be you know worn out i may be beat up i may be depressed but i have a choice of what i'm going to do tomorrow and change is difficult too because it requires you choosing something different than the day before you get used to that routine and that habitual living especially yeah. with depression or anxiety or any of those conditions it yeah it's very repetitive so to change can actually seem more challenging incrementally if you just do something different it can shift you like out of out of those um dynamics i guess yeah absolutely and i mean what's what's hard is i think what what the hardest thing is for people for us is uh it's comfortable mm. it's very very comfortable you know it's a lot more comfortable just dealing with yeah just autopilot mode autopilot and just kind of uh, well this is the way i am this is i can't you know i hear that from a lot of people like i am who i am it's like no you you can change that yeah but you have to want to i guess that's the next step in that too yeah you have to want to and and you need you, you need we need a reason we need a reason you know for sure i mean that's that's the that's the really sad thing to me is you know i i have i've had many friends you know and some i've lost to depression to suicide you know to you know people just giving up where you know they felt that there was no choice you mm -hmm. know that there was no other direction that there was no light at that light at the end of the tunnel yeah that is something i have definitely experienced way more than you know a handful of times in my life yeah absolutely <laughs> the sad thing is is you know they all they were just they were in a part of the tunnel where it was just a turn if they just made that turn just a few more feet they would have seen the light at the end of that tunnel and found their way out of it it's sad to say uh that but it's just truth and reality. Some people will never get out of it. They just won't. But that doesn't mean that they can't. That, that's not what I'm saying. It's that they just won't put that extra step in there to make it around that bend to see the light at the end of the tunnel and get out. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think that's really important too, what you said about having a reason. If you can just find something, no matter how small. When I was going through those phases, it was like, just look at the sky, look at the stars, like find something that brings you peace, even momentarily, just to like stop the obsessive thoughts or the negative thoughts, just to try and, yeah, try and dissipate them a little bit. You mentioned before that there was particular music that helped you get through a certain time. And if I think back, 
to probably one of my first episodes, let's call it. I think I was listening to a lot of Silverchair, Tool and A Perfect Circle have always really helped me, The Cure, Evergreen Terrace, Nine Inch Nails. I needed like a variety of different music and I was also dealing with like a lot of anger, but can you share some that helped you get through? Oh man, there's hundreds. (laughs) (laughs) We'll do a playlist. (laughs) There's been a lot of uh, the those situations. <laughs> <laughs> air quoting, so, everyone air quoting. A lot of situations equals a lot of songs. You know, Pegboy was always uh, really the record they did. It's a record called Strong Reaction. You know, there there was just a lot of songs on that. That came at a time in my life where, you know, it was kind of both there was some positive stuff in there. There was some dark stuff in there, but it, the music kind of drove me in a way. It was, it was kind of a time in my life where I was just getting back on my feet after a crazy uh, few years of, you know, being not, not incarcerated. I get, I was, I was put into, put into a, a, a youth home. Um, for troubled youth. It wasn't like juvie or anything, but, you know, um, it was, it was a home for just messed up kids, you know, and it was everything from suicidal kids to drug addicts to kids on street kids, like you name it. There's about 180 of us in that, in there when I went in, went in as a teenager I was, I ended up being there for three years. It was, uh, it changed my life and perspective on life and how I see the world, how I see my spirituality, how I look at mother nature, how I treat people and talk to people. I learned a lot. I learned a lot this time. And, uh, but when, when I got out, you know, all I wanted to do was play music. You know, there were there were bands like uh, at the time listening to uh, a lot of Fugazi, Minor Threat, Pegboy. I think it's I think that's important for people to hear that everyone has their own struggles to go through, and that doesn't matter who you are. We're not immune. You know, we all have our things that we have to get through. So maybe we should finish up with: Do you want to let everybody know what's in the pipeline for you? I don't even know where to begin with that. Like we're <laughs> hot, hot waters writing some music. I'm writing some music, booking fishing trip. I'm raising a boy. I got a lot of work to do on a house. Got a lot of irrigation lines to to redig and repipe and get ready for gardens uh, next spring. I have a little pond that uh, I'm growing fish in. That's just my own little. <laughs> Me, me and the boys. What type know, of fish in the pond? Bass and bluegill. It's it's beautiful, but it's our our own little backyard biology experiment. Well, thank you so very much for taking the time to talk about everything. I'm so glad that we could finally connect. So thank you so much for your time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> anytime, anytime. <laughs> when you're not renovating a house. <laughs> Yeah, that that's going to be happening for quite a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Thank you so very much again. Thanks, everyone.